Hey everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of CrossCast. I'm your host, Chad Barlow. CrossCast is a conversational style podcast where we talk about how to be disciples and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and the joy of his people. CrossCast is a ministry of The Crossing Church. To find out more, go to thecrossingfc.org. We are a member of a network of churches called The Crossway Network, amazing network of churches. Uh, to find out more about our network, go to crosswaynetwork.org. Today we are continuing the Crossway DNA series, and we'll be talking about spiritual gifts. And our guest today is the well-known Richard Gear Gardner. Hi, Chad. <laughs> How you doing? Good, man. My middle new, name is not Gear. New just thing is asking people. <laughs> I'm asking people their middle names. As kind of a fun fact and a fun way to start the podcast. So what's your middle name? It is William, Richard William, otherwise known as Dick Bill Gardner. <laughs> oh, wow. You just gave yourself a uh, nickname. Maybe I'll try to remember that and the listeners can start calling you that too. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, thanks for being on, man. I want to um, do a quick shout out. This has been on my mind to, to acknowledge this in a podcast and I keep forgetting. So I remembered this time, you know, at the beginning, of a lot of these podcasts, people are, are thanking me say, yeah, this is really cool that you went after this Chad, and it's helpful. And I'm, I'm thankful for the words of affirmation and that I finally followed through on an idea that I had, but I want the listeners to know and rich you to hear me. My appreciation is as really the lion's share of the work on these podcasts isn't done by me. Um, I have sent you questions. I have told you I want to do this um, episode on spiritual gifts, and you have been the one who've, who's had to study. Now, I've studied some, too, in the last week, but uh, the lion's share of the work is on the guests, so I just want the listeners to know that. I'm, I'm thankful for you and for Aaron and for Brandon and Matt Whitney and Smitty and everyone else who's been on it, because it's not similar to preaching a sermon, but it's the preparation can feel similar in all the study, sure. and, and you got to you know know what you how you want to answer, and... Rich, we've talked about how how many weeds we could get into on this, and how like what direction we want to go. So, so thanks for all your studies, and to all the other guests who have been on, who who also listen to this podcast, Aaron, Smitty, Matt. Thanks for all your studies uh, this week to prepare. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, my joy, and it's it's good to be able to kind of revisit these things. Uh, I I realize more and more the longer I'm a pastor, just that uh, never have everything totally figured out or understand everything fully and so it's always good to be challenged to go back and kind of even reconsider kind of my perspective or understanding of a certain text and so yeah this has been a good exercise for me just to challenge and sharpen me as well good amen i remember as a as a young uh, aspiring pastor well i guess still am but when i was pastoring at the other church there's this weight of <clears throat> the first few times you preach and, oh man, now I'm a pastor. Like I kind of have to know everything. Mm. And that was such an unrealistic expectation. Right. Yeah. And there was freedom when I was like, oh yeah, like I'm allowed to say, I don't know. I need to study more. I'm allowed to say I'm not an expert and I don't think I ever will be, you know, like we just have to keep going back to the word and studying and studying and studying. And yeah, absolutely. I know, mean, that whenever. is a, yeah, that's a weight I think that, that most pastors feel is the, the, the weight of just feeling the need to have an answer to everything or to, to know about every every topic or every text, how to interpret that. And I, I think it's given me a lot of freedom just to recognize that I'm not supposed to have everything understood. Now I'm, I have a lifetime to commit to that, and I should be a, a student of the Word mm -hmm. regularly. Um, but I think the freedom to be able to say to someone, hey, let me look into that, let me, yeah. let me study that more, or to be challenged by others. Um, that, that I don't have perfect understanding, I think is huge. And so, and being able to do that even in community, that I am also part of the body seeking to be faithful to the word together within the community of the church, I think is huge. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, before we dive in, I wanted to give us a little warm up this morning, Rich. It's, it's first thing in the morning for us. So we're still, you know, waking up a little bit. Mm. Um, but this past Sunday was Easter. And yes, it was. It was an amazing Sunday. There was something special about it, and um, all of us, the pastors and the pastoral intern, were just on cloud nine. So, so just well, how was your heart on Sunday, and how has it been since then? And you really, 
you know, all you pastors seem like you're on cloud nine. So just let us into your heart a little bit. And why was that? Yeah, it was, it was a great day. You know, I, I didn't quite know what to expect, you know, looking back on Easter 2020, um, as Aaron highlighted, we, we were all at home yeah. and we, we were very saddened to do that. You know, last year it kind of marked our, our 10 years as a church and just to, to reflect on God's faithfulness last year, we were so excited to do that. And, you know, amidst COVID and the shutdowns and all, we, uh, we were doing church from home at that point. And so there was, there was a lot of sadness there. There was even just over this last year, just a lot of almost lamenting everything yeah. that's gone on and just the, the challenges. And so Sunday felt like in, in many ways, almost for the first time, just kind of a, a return to what a, a Sunday gathering at the crossing has been for the last number of years. Mm-hmm. There was just, I think, an energy beginning to see folks that we haven't seen for, for a long time, be able to come back. Um, and it's not as though everything's just back to normal right now. Um, we're still doing two services and all, but uh, yeah. yeah, there was just an energy and excitement, um, just even just to celebrate the reality and the hope. Everything was kind of focused in in just that direction. Um, and for, for maybe a few moments during worship and all, just the, the weight of the tension of, of COVID and everything maybe felt like it wasn't there as much. And so... Yeah, there was just a, a great time of worship. It was uh, good to see Brian on the drums and just leading us, and Cole just doing an amazing job, just singing about the, the resurrection together with even more people with a greater energy. Just was was really exciting, mm-hmm. and there, it was just a, a wonderful time just to, to celebrate together. And so, yeah, I think all of us just felt um, encouraged Mm-hmm. Um, just, to, and, and not that, that numbers and filling up the building is everything, but there's, there's something about seeing the church come together in, in greater fullness. That's really encouraging. And it even just made me long even more and more for the day in which we can just return to one gathering and be the church together. Yeah. Um, and so we, we anticipate that day, you know, hopefully as things, uh, are on a better trajectory where we can get back. Um, to that at some point here soon, but uh, we're, we're unsure right now. But uh, yeah, I'd, I long for that day yeah, totally. when we can all be together um, again. But uh, yeah, Sunday was just a, a great time of celebration. And I think it just almost highlighted like maybe at times we forget how much maybe we've lost or haven't um, yes. experienced over the last number of months. And I think maybe we've come to grow used to it in some way. And uh, I don't, I don't want that to become the normal. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to return back to being able to experience the fullness of God's people worshiping in, in fullness together. And so, yeah, it was, it was an exciting and, and encouraging time for for all of us. Yeah, Amen. I'll, I'll piggyback off that and say that saying, um, "Ignorance is bliss." Like we kind of, you know, we're we're resilient humans, and we've just had to get used to you know, what the new world looks like amidst COVID. Um, but it was almost like Sunday was a little slice of just normal. Mm. And you forget how, how great normal was because when we were in normal pre COVID ignorance was bliss. Like we didn't know what it was like to just have one service and the building full and everyone's singing so loudly and just the excitement of being together. And And then we, we got used to COVID and being so spread out and masks. And I understand that. I'm not hating on it. It was just a, a normal that we had to get used to that some of us were more verbal about not liking. And me, the extroverted extrovert, will be honest. And I didn't like <laughs> it. I wanted to be, see more people and see their smiles and talk to them closely. But anyways, and then Sunday just was like a, a, like, you know, a lifting off of the curtain of your eyes, almost like, oh, yeah, like this is what it's supposed to feel yeah. like and be like. And maybe even more because the, the, the perfect would have been to have one service. Right. And to really be with all those people. Cause that was like the, mo- you know, as usual, the most, the most normal and most people we've had in on a long time in both services. So, right. And like you said, it's not about numbers, but when, when the whole church is together, the, the people who call this place home and the visitors just special. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. It's great. So yeah, very encouraging. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's get into the meat of the conversation here, Rich. Spiritual gifts. Uh, as always, just want to free you up. As we talked about, Rich, we're not expecting you to be exhaustive. Hope the listeners aren't expecting me, the host, to be exhaustive. There's so many weeds we could go into here. So, as always, we just want to we want to talk about the, what they are, um, what what's their purpose. We'll, we'll get a little bit into the debate of 
the miraculous sign gifts and where we land at the crossing and in the network as continuationists. We'll, we'll define that here in a little bit, but that's where we're going just so the listeners can know. So um, can you give us a, a definition of spiritual gifts or maybe even you said you might zoom out and just um, give us a, a little theology of the Holy Spirit first before you define spiritual gifts for us? Sure, yeah. Um, I think it'd be good just to start with kind of the uh, the statement that's that our, our network DNA uh, kind of has put out yeah. um, on spiritual gifts under this this lesson. Um, the the title that they that they have labeled this with is spiritual gifts are spirit empowered and biblically grounded, and I think those are those are two really foundational descriptions that mm-hmm. should should kind of anchor us as we think about these things. Um, but they say that the, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit gives every believer supernatural gifts for the purpose of building up his church and expanding his kingdom. The focus and priority of these spiritual gifts is not for self-edification or self-expression, but for the edification of others, and as a result, building up the body of Christ. It is our incredible privilege as believers to be conduits of his supernatural power as he puts his glory and grace on display in this way. So uh, I want to affirm uh, the statements made there that uh, that God has given um, every believer the gifting through his Holy Spirit. And uh, before we even get into just the specifics of, of what these gifts are and how they should be exercised in the church, I think we also just need to uh, say what we affirm about the Holy Spirit. We, we would affirm that, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, places their faith and trust at the point of conversion, receives the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And this was, this was what was foretold by, by Jesus in John chapter 14 and 15, um, when he said this in John 14, uh, verse 16, He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And then uh, later on in verse 26, he says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. And he's specifically speaking to his disciples at this moment, but we we recognize that uh, when we get to Acts 2 and the outpouring of the Spirit, um, at the day of Pentecost, that, that his disciples and other followers of Jesus at that time are, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, there we see these, these miraculous signs that accompany them, so that creates a lot of confusion should those things be normative throughout the life of the church. But I think the one thing that we want to affirm is that, that, that we see um, in Jesus' words and then even in Acts that the, the presence of the Spirit indwells all believers. The Apostle Paul even affirms this in, uh, in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, he says this. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And so uh, we, we, we would say that any, any teaching that would say that someone needs a kind of second blessing mm. of the Spirit subsequent to their conversion to faith in Christ um, does not align with biblical teaching. Yeah. And so we, we, it's not as though you, you get saved and kind of commit your life to, to Jesus, ask him into your heart, and then later at some other time, then the Spirit comes on you and then indwells you at a later time. Mm-hmm. Um, we, don't, we don't see that take place. Yeah. Um, there's there's some, some things that take place in Acts that, 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 are, that some have tried to build upon, um, but I think each of those has kind of a unique place in the kind of transitional time of the church from kind of the old covenant community into the new covenant. Yeah, and, there, and there's some Pentecostal churches that believe you haven't received the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues, unless there is this miraculous sign gift that comes along with it that, that could we could say that comes to us in a form of a denial. You've given us the affirmation right. that every believer has the Holy Spirit upon conversion, um, and that doesn't necessarily have to come with the speaking in tongues. And then I think another denial I would add, too, is, is uh, over and against and opposed to receiving the Holy Spirit at baptism— uh, we receive it upon conversion, upon the moment we repent and believe. Is, right. Am I missing any other denials, or would you add no, anything to that? No, I, I would. I would. I would affirm that. And I don't want to broad brush all Pentecostal groups because there are a variety of totally of how that would be worked out. But yeah. but many would teach that that some would even say that you may receive the Spirit at conversion, but then 
the, you need kind of a, a filling of the spirit at a later time in order to kind of be empowered for service and ministry hmm. okay. as kind of a, a little bit of a distinction there. Yeah. And, and I, I, I do think there's times that the spirit works in, in kind of powerful ways in our lives and we can affirm that, but the idea of, of placing, um, the burden on, on a, a specific later, you know, baptism by the spirit that empowers you for service, um, I don't think is is really what was being taught in the book of Acts or the early church. Um, I think w- those those who would teach that point to a few different instances in the book of Acts where there is kind of a, a speaking of tongues event that happens um, after conversion. Mm-hmm. And uh, those, those four passages where we see that, one in Acts chapter 2, which is, you know, the, the day of Pentecost, and the, the followers of Jesus are... are filled with the Spirit. Um, there's other crazy signs that go on. There's tongues of fire that appear over their head, the mm-hmm. sound of rushing wind. I mean, this is a, a unique time. Yeah. Um, but they kind of highlight the one instance of speaking of tongues as kind of this manifestation that they have then received the Spirit. And I think it did serve to affirm what was taking place in that moment. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the question is whether that instance then should become normative for the church and for all believers after that. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, the other few instances, just to try to get through this quickly, we could go into all, all, each of these, but uh, Acts 8 is another time where Samaritan believers come come to faith. Acts chapter 10 is another one where we see the first Gentile convert in Cornelius, Cornelius who comes to that. faith. Yeah. Um, in Acts chapter 8, it actually doesn't specifically say the mention of tongues, but there does seem to be some kind of miraculous manifestation, so some assume that it, mm. that it might have been tongue-speaking um, that takes place there. But Acts 10, you know, the, the Gentile believers then... Um, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and are then speak in tongues. Then the other group is in Acts chapter 19, there's this interesting group of uh, former kind of disciples of John the Baptist, one who, ones who were, dis, who were baptized under John the Baptist ministry and now who come in later and they're like, you know, the disciples ask him like, hey, have you heard, of, have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? And they're like, oh, we didn't even, even, we didn't even know the Holy Spirit existed. They're like, oh, so you almost got these people who are like in a time warp of sorts, um, kind of uh-huh. stuck between kind of this transitional period of, of, of the, of the you know, the death of, and resurrection of Christ and, and the way things are moving forward after that. Um, so we have a unique situation there. But what all of these four instances kind of show us is that, that, one, these, these all happen with groups, and they all happen with um, in, in a public way, and all of them serve to kind of mark kind of the expansion of the gospel to groups and people who were not previously included within the covenant community. Mm. And so each of, each of the times we see this happen in Luke-Acts, it's almost as if what happened at Pentecost is happening in a unique way with each of these other groups to affirm and testify to the inclusion of these people into the church, which actually goes back to Jesus, you know, command to his, his, his disciples that they would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see that, that take place throughout Acts as, as it goes out. And there was a need for the unity of the church to be found through the affirming signs. And they look back and say, hey, you know, even at the Jerusalem Council, they say, hey, these people like received the Spirit just as we did. They are equally included in the body of Christ just as us. And so we have in Acts the church trying to figure out what, is, what does this look like now coming from um, kind of this old covenant community? How does the, the death and resurrection of Christ kind of transform and, and change that? And now what does it look like for us to then, you know, regather as kind of this global movement of, of people from every tribe and nation who are now coming to faith in Jesus and really this like true Israel is being formed mm-hmm. in the church. Mm-hmm. And so uh, each of those instances, I don't believe can be, can then be, you know, set forth as normative for every individual experience because we have other examples of, of individual conversion in acts where there isn't manifestation of tongues that affirms them. Right. It's, it's faith and baptism yeah. that, that takes place um, with, with those individuals. So I think there's a unique, uh, way in which all these four instances of tongue speaking in Acts serve to affirm specific groups of people who formerly were were not part of the the, the church who are now being included in the church and those the, the manifestation of of tongues in those times serves to attest and affirm to even the the believing Jews that, that God has included and welcomed them into His church. Totally, yeah. So the and we don't have to go here too much if you don't want. It could be a big tangent, mm-hmm. but we we briefly talked about it is the the interpretive debate then is 
reading acts whether it's prescriptive or descriptive right. and so the groups who would who would say like all these supernatural things always have to come are reading acts as a prescription of of what should happen to every group or every individual who comes to believe whereas where i land is is usually it's descriptive describing to us something that happened but isn't necessarily what was supposed to have happened to me or to you or to anyone else yeah i would agree and i think understanding luke's purpose in both his gospel and then writing the book of Acts, I think is really important in, in understanding that. He's describing the the works of the apostles and the, ex, the expansive you know nature of the church as the gospel is proclaimed. Mm-hmm. He's, he's describing what took place and giving testimony to it, but he's not necessarily laying out a, a an ecclesiology, a doctrine of the church for us to specifically follow in each and every instance. Mm-hmm. Now, there are patterns and things that, that, we, that we need to wrestle with and see like, hey, is there a sense in which that what we see there should be kind of replicated or continue to be pursued mm-hmm. in the church today? But they're different than, you know, say some of Paul's letters, you know, say the pastoral epistles or others, where he's giving very specific instruction for the church to follow. Mm-hmm. And so I think we it, it, it's necessary to make that distinction that uh, Acts, I would say, is generally more descriptive than prescriptive. Yeah, totally. Okay, so um, that's a, a pretty good uh, beginning intro on what are the spiritual gifts, zooming out and just considering first that God has, when a person has been saved, regenerated, God gives them the Holy Spirit, and he gives us gifts. Yeah. Um, so what are they for? It, well, it, you mentioned it briefly in the Crossway DNA definition, but we can nuance it more, and you can give your own Richard William gardener's definition like what what for yeah why do we have them yeah i i do believe that the spirit as he indwells all believers also empowers them with these gifts um it's it's interesting actually the the original language that's used here it's it's not specifically the word for gift that we see in other places it's actually rooted in uh, a word tied with grace um so it's actually uh charisma or charismata, which is where we get the word charismatic yep. um, to describe kind of different denominations and, and approaches. But uh, it's so it's this idea of a, a something that's freely given by God. So mm-hmm. it's this. So we identify it as a, as a, a gift of grace. So um, we see that in specific areas, like Paul defends that that all believers have been given gifting by God through His grace, and so. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, which is kind of Paul's, you know, section where he really dives into the manifestation of, of spiritual gifts within the church, um, and he goes into a lot of detail. He says things like this. He says uh, in chapter 12, verse 4, he says, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. It says, to each, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Later on in verse 11, he says, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So I think that when we begin to talk about spiritual gifts, first of all, we need to affirm that all believers are gifted by God in some way. Mm-hmm. And Paul's purpose in 1 Corinthians is actually to highlight the diversity of gifts and the value of all the gifts over against those who would, who would kind of pick out one or two maybe more miraculous or supernatural types of gifting to kind of elevate themselves, you know, in spirituality or within the church as more significant. And Paul's trying to, to, to correct that and say, no, like, like God, through his spirit and through his divine will, apportions and gifts individuals differently. And the church needs all of that diversity mm-hmm. uh, to, be, uh, to work together in unity. And this, so, uh, this is that famous reading on, I won't, but I'll just summarize is Paul's famous body illustration where, yeah. you know, there's an eye, there's an ear, there's a finger, there's a foot. And I, I might be adding here, just yeah, summarizing, yeah, 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 but, yep. <laughs> and these are all important parts of the body and, and they're needed and necessary. And one is not more important than the other. Right. Right. We don't just want one big nose. No, we need, we, that'd be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> we need, uh, we need. Every, everybody. And yeah. so, so that's really like understanding Paul's purpose. I think it really grounds us in kind of 
than unpacking kind of the specific questions that come about throughout the passage. But uh, as as we can then kind of try to define, okay, so so how what are these spiritual gifts then? And I think uh, uh, we could say a spiritual gift is a bestowment of God's grace by means of the Holy Spirit, which is manifested in a variety of ways among the members of the church. That was really good. Or more specifically, we could say that spiritual gifts are those abilities which the Holy Spirit enables the believer to perform within the church for the purpose of edifying other believers. Yes. And so Paul over and over again emphasizes the importance of the gifts being used not for personal you know, edification and building up, although he doesn't necessarily completely deny that, but he says the, the emphasis and purpose for the gifts is so that they would serve to build up the body as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's more for the, the edification of others than merely for your own individual experience. Yeah, amen. When I first, I had this underlined in my Bible, when I first stumbled upon this, it was like, oh my gosh, that verse is so good. First Corinthians 12, 7, you read it. Yeah. But I'm just going to read it again. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So it's right. the way the Holy Spirit manifests in our individual lives, but not for us, for the common good, for the sanctification, edification, building up of the body of Christ. Right. And and usually when this gets goofy, real goofy, is when people are doing this and it really draws attention to themselves and it's almost like a performance and, and you're like, wow, that's, uh, that doesn't, it's not really building me up. I've had some, I'm kind of speaking from personal experience here. Right. of like some a weird conference I was at where I was like, man, there was, this is, I don't know how this is supposed to be building me up or sure. people around them up. So, yeah. And also like, I think <clears throat> whether it's just our Western culture all culture or whatever that, that really kind of emphasizes and celebrates individual kind of experience mm-hmm. and kind of faith even becomes just kind of this private life mm-hmm. and even going to church, being a part of a church is still just serving my own personal kind of spiritual journey kind of thing like that. And so we can kind of easily shift to, to think that we need gifts or we need these things that, that kind of give us a certain experience of closeness with God or something. And we mm-hmm. kind of turn it inward and then we maybe read scriptures to kind of serve ourselves rather than recognizing that Paul's actually challenging them to embrace the gifting that God has given them, regardless of how maybe um, spectacular it feels or how ordinary it feels, and to celebrate that as a way in which God can use you through his spirit to serve others. Mm-hmm. And and it really highlights the corporate nature of the church rather than kind of the individual personal experience. Mm, yeah, that's convicting because I even I think I sometimes struggle like with this paradigm of like it's my spiritual growth and um, even my time in small group, life group, church is primarily about my growth, whereas really the Lord wants to see it. It's our growth. You know, how's our spiritual journey? How are we growing? And I'm not saying God doesn't view us as individuals and love us individually, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes we can fall off the horse on the one side, You like you just said, to individuality. and. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'd see, um, you know, some more growth in, in the area of spiritual gifts if we really viewed it more as like, how are we growing together than just mm-hmm. me personally? Yeah. I, I might be wrong there, but no, yeah, maybe. No, I, I think, it, think it's important. Yeah. Paul even highlighted this in Ephesians when he, when he describes, you know, he says in chapter four that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he describes, you know, how, how Jesus upon his... his resurrection and ascension, he gave gifts to his church, and specifically in the form of, of kind of these these offices or, or people that would serve in the church. He, he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, where we get, some people get this kind of fivefold ministry kind of pattern in, in the church. Mm-hmm. But, he, but he just says why he gave them to the church, not to just elevate and, you know, serve themselves, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry, mm-hmm. which this is really a foundational hallmark of even our pastoral ministry and, and how I, I view my role is not, um, is not merely for myself, but actually like, like I've been maybe given a gifting to, to lead and to serve and to teach for the purpose of, of equipping others to actually serve and continue on ministry mm-hmm. in their specific context. But they are, they're given to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the ultimate purpose of building up the body of Christ mm-hmm. until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I just think that that collective growth is, is emphasized so clearly by Paul over and over again in his, in his letters. 
And I think it, we would do well just to, to recognize that and, and highlight that. Mm-hmm. Amen. Um, so real quick, we're not going to dive into, you know, I'm not going to ask you for a definition of every spiritual gift, but um, some of the famous, um, how about you turn to Romans 12 okay. and I'm in, um, I'm in first Corinthians 12 and I'll just read it real quick. Just kind of like what are at least some of the ones that we know, you know, are spiritual gifts. So first uh, Corinthians 12, I'll just start in um, eight and then you can read uh, Romans 12 for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by one, by the one spirit to another, the working of miracles to another prophecy to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits to another, various kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And then uh, what's that passage in Romans 12? Yeah, Romans 12 uh, verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we've all been, we have many members, and the members do not have the same function So we, though many, are one body in Christ. Then he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So um, my question for you, Rich, and this was kind of a new thing to me, and it makes sense, but... Is that an exhaustive list? Do you think that's the only spiritual gifts there are now? And also, there we we skipped some other passages I've heard where someone says there there are a few more, but those two were enough. What do you think? Is that is that the only ones, or is there more? Uh, No, I do not think they're exhaustive. Um, And I I think I I would defend that by saying if they're exhaustive, then the Romans missed out on a few that he gave to the Corinthians and the church at Corinth missed out on a few that uh, he, he described to the Romans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think there's four passages, you know, that kind of give some kind of list. There's a really like two general gifts of like serving and teaching or something in, in first Peter. Yep. There's uh, Ephesians chapter four gives kind of these like, you know, fivefold gifting to the church. Mm-hmm. Then you got Romans 12 and first Corinthians 12 here. Yeah. So um, yeah, all of those together, even if, even if we put them all together, I don't think Paul's intention was to give us an exhaustive, clear, detailed list um, for us to understand, okay, this is the list of spiritual gifts that God has given to the church. Mm -hmm. Um, I think recognizing what he's doing in these letters shows us that he is just highlighting some basic ways in which the Spirit works through people to serve in the context of the local body. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he has any intention to be exhaustive. I think he could have listed any any number of other things alongside of these. He's simply trying to highlight the diversity of the gifts, not to give an exhaustive list. Mm-hmm. Amen. I even we talked about this last week, and again, you know, I need to study more. I might be wrong, but I, I'm prone to think that uh, a born again Christian, um, the Holy Spirit gives gives lots of gifts and personality types and ways in which they can strengthen and edify the body that we might not see in scripture. Someone might be really bold or, or in a moment I might have a really bold moment where I ask a friend to just a bold gospel question. And, and my opinion is that is a manifestation of the Holy spirit in me, giving me that boldness that I'm not always prone to have or other things. I think I agree with you and it's new to me and it's exciting to think like, wow, there's really the Lord wired us in, in each ways and the Holy spirit can, can use those giftings and wirings and yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, sometimes people ask, well, is there a difference between just like kind of God-given abilities and spiritual gifts? And I just don't think we need to make like, try to make clear lines of distinction around yeah, those things. I, I think agree. even if you have the ability in some some way that you describe as just part of your personality or the way God has wired you, I think as a, as a believer, God, through his spirit, empowers that in a new way to be a, a unique avenue for extending God's grace and goodness to others. Mm-hmm. And so I, th- I think we need to embrace kind of the holistic way that God's spirit is at work in all of us differently. And I think we need to really take to heart Paul's challenge in his letters that's saying, 
don't elevate any one gifting above another and don't elevate one personality above another or one person's, you know, you know, skills, Mm -hmm. but celebrate the different ways that God has, has wired you and, and gifts you and recognize the, the place that all of that works together, uh, to build up the church. Yeah. Amen. So the final place I want to go here, um, in this episode is, uh, we're going to get into the weeds just a little bit here, listeners, the debate continuationism, cessationism. So I think most people agree that, you know, teaching, you know, that's a gift that, you know, no one's going to disagree with teaching and exhortation. The passage you read from Romans 12 contribution, like, of course, yes, that's great. Leadership mm-hmm. acts of mercy. The, the debated spiritual gifts, um, are, are the miraculous sign gifts. Sure. Um, and we, uh, the crossing and crossway overall would land in a continuationist position. So will you give us a definition of continuationist and cessationist? Yep. Yeah. So this, these positions kind of stem from the, the basic question, are all of the gifts of the spirit or the ways the spirit is manifested that we see in the new Testament are all of those gifts still active and ongoing in the church? Are they still necessary for the edification and building up and expanse of the gospel? That's the, the fundamental question. Um, are they all active? And how I would probably answer that is kind of a, a mediating position of maybe, <laughs> but not necessarily. And so I'd have to, I'd have to nuance that a little bit, but, but I would, I would not hold to a, a, position that would be labeled a cessationist position that would would say that that certain gifts have ceased in the church and we can definitively say that these gifts are no more and they are no longer active in the church um, I actually used to kind of hold that position mm. I grew up in a church context that was very firm on on specific um, gifts that that they no longer were active so those gifts would be probably categorized as the gift of tongues of prophecy of healings. Um, they would say that God can heal, but God doesn't necessarily give like someone the gift to heal another person. Mm-hmm. And then the gifts of kind of maybe utterance of knowledge or the, or uh, the word, word of wisdom. wisdom. Yeah. The Some of those have all been, uh, that were all kind of categorized as, as kind of revelatory gifts. And they would say, because we have the Bible, those gifts are absolutely no more. And there's no place for those. They would, they would say that tongues only, only served a specific purpose in kind of the book of Acts and maybe even is being corrected in first Corinthians. And so those are, those are no more. So they would say that certain miraculous gifts, someone call them sign gifts. They've been categorized in different ways. Uh, but a cessationist position would, would would find a certain select list of those gifts and say that they are no longer active in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I would say that I can no longer kind of exegetically defend a position that would that would that would really limit or definitively say that certain gifts have ceased okay. in the church. So we so that would put us in in a position of what's been labeled a continuationist that these gifts continue on in the church. Now there's a there's a wide spectrum then on <laughs> on what that actually looks like yeah. all the way from kind of what's been known as kind of a, a a Pentecostalism or a you know the third wave charismatic church who would have a a not only believe that they continue but expect their regular occurrence and manifestation in the church kind of all the time weekly regularly. Mm-hmm. As opposed to maybe where where I would land and even our network would land is say that, well, when we understand the, the way that the gifts, the miraculous gifts kind of functioned within the early church shapes our expectation of those things to occur regularly in the church mm-hmm. today. Yeah. And so I think that the redemptive historical trajectory of, of Scripture and the transitional nature of the book of Acts and the early church shapes and even limits my expectation of certain miraculous gifts um, to be an ongoing regular occurrence within the gathered church today. Yeah. There's a, um, there's a footnote in our um, Mm -hmm. crossway network uh, worksheet. That's really helpful. I'm going to read it. 
Crossway Chapel churches, oh, Crossway Network, we dropped the chapel. Crossway Network churches do not teach that certain spiritual gifts listed in the Bible have ceased to operate in the church today. God can and will continue to work powerfully through all of his gifts as he desires. However, Crossway Network teaches that the abundance and the relative regularity of sign gifts in the New Testament was due to the unique role of the apostles who first bore witness to Jesus and first established the church. The genuine manifestation of sign gifts today in the church will likely occur in unique situations and always within the biblical parameters set forth in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. I just think that's really helpful. Yeah. It's, it really helped me, you know, how kind of sometimes you feel like you know something, but you can't articulate it until someone smarter than you writes a good sentence like <laughs> sure, that. And sure. it's like, oh, yeah. Like, because that's where I land too, Rich, is is exegetically, I'm like, I can't see cessationism. I don't see how, one of the, sorry, side note real quick. One of the main verses that a cessationist would use is, First um, Corinthians thirteen eight. It says, "Love sure. never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away." And uh, cessationists would say, "The perfect is the completed canon." And I would say, yes, the canon is perfect and complete. But I, I believe they're referring to the perfect as the second coming of Christ, when when the whole universe becomes perfect. So I do appreciate the, the idea that this was a, a unique um, manifestation of the spirit of God that could still happen uh, in unique situations, but shouldn't be something that uh, we expect all the time. Right. Yeah. I, w- I would, ag- I would agree. Yeah. I grew up, you know, in a context where they would, they would use first Corinthians 13 to kind of yeah defend that as well. Um, but I, 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 I do think it's, Seem, it becomes pretty clear when you take the whole passage in context that it's referring to kind of the eternal state at the end, this this full knowledge and full understanding um, that we run into. Okay, then, Rich. So my question is, um, we believe these supernatural gifts continue, in a sense, in unique situations. They can continue. God can continue to manifest in that way. But just speaking personally here, uh, I've been in the church my whole life, and, and admittedly not super charismatic churches, um, you know, a few here and there that actually made me feel uncomfortable when at the end of a sermon a pastor would be like, now I feel like the Lord wants to heal somebody's left hand, and I'd be like, well, that's kind of weird. But anyways, <laughs> I want to believe that, that these still manifest, but when I've seen them, it's always made me really uncomfortable, Rich. Like, I've never seen tongues... Um, practiced with in a genuine way with an interpreter or uh, when I have like seen prophecy it was people were obsessed with it it was like I was at this event where they had like prophetic prayer and prophetic worship and prophetic prophecy and prophetic bible reading and prophetic I mean I had a friend I have a friend here who said he was at a thing where they did like prophetic art where they like drew a picture and it was like prophetic art so like why do you think (laughs) that we so much more rarely and maybe it's just my life experience so I shouldn't over like I shouldn't generalize too much and put my experience on everyone but why do you think it's if we do see him it seems to be not biblically grounded and kind of goofy yeah it's a great question um because yeah that that is kind of the pushback that, that many would you know give to us you know in terms of our context if we're continuationists shouldn't we expect that these things you know, occur, and shouldn't we be maybe pursuing them in, in greater ways? Um, and I, I do want to say that, like, for someone with us, our, our position has sometimes been characterized as um, open but cautious, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that that can be overly cautious, Yeah. where because of maybe some of the abuses we've seen in the church and some of the, the out-of-control crazy stuff charismania better better term yeah Yeah. you know barking like dogs and slain in the spirit some of those things that that we'll see on tbn and other you know kind of contexts i've seen it in Um, real life right here in fort collins (laughs) by the way (laughs) yeah i think out of out of a real good desire to kind of like you know stay away from that not and not head in that direction we've become very cautious against any kind of manifestation of the spirit um and we're only open in some kind of theoretical 
theological sense. Yeah. Um, and, and I think we need to be challenged to, to yes, recognize that, that God is going to do what God's going to do. Mm-hmm. We cannot put God in a box either as a cessationist to just say, okay, God just doesn't work, or even as a continuationist and say, okay, God says he's going to work, so we're, so we're going to... Start barking like a dog. Yeah, make this stuff happen and yeah. just attribute it to the, the yeah. Spirit. And so somewhere in there, we need to recognize, like, God is going to do what God's going to do. And if if he shows up and gives a manifestation of tongues, and I, I've heard some crazy stories from a guy like, um, you know, Ashley Denton, a pastor in our network, from his, some of his overseas mission trips and all of just, like, things that happen that just seem miraculous is the only way to describe it. Yeah, and wow. And I think there's... A lot of stories that, that come out of out of missions in different places that are that are just an, an amazing work of God, mm-hmm. and so I don't want to just like write those things off quickly or, or deny those things. I want to just say Amen. I pray that God is working in those things. While at the same time in the in the church, I want to I want to keep my finger pretty close to the text to to hear Paul's advice and his counsel, especially to the to the Corinthians, because the whole book of Corinthians is written to a church that's pretty messed up. I mean. Mm-hmm. First Corinthians five has you know a guy sleeping with his mother-in-law, and he's trying to say like we we can't allow these kind of things to just take place within the church, and and he's trying to give order to the way that they do the Lord's Supper, and then he's addressing kind of the untethered just kind of craziness of around some of the manifestations of some of these gifts of tongues and all, and with with the whole issue of tongues in first Corinthians versus tongues and acts, there's a lot of layers of nuance that we don't have time mm-hmm. to get into. Yeah. And in, in acts, it, it definitely seems like it's very clearly human languages that, that, that people are hearing in their languages. The different people groups are mentioned there. Yeah. Um, it seems like it seems fundamentally different than maybe the, the practice and what we see in first Corinthians. And so yeah. we have to wrestle through that. Yeah. But Paul gives very clear uh, guidance saying, and he actually says like between like prophecy and, tongues he, he says i'd r- much rather have you have you have you exercising prophecy which he sees as something that is going to edify and build up others because he says the way that they're doing tongues is is very um confused it's unclear mm-hmm. and he says when nobody's there to interpret it doesn't have this gift of interpretation to actually make known in clear um understandable content what is being said then it just is confusion and so he puts parameters and guidelines on the exercise of that gift. Now, he, he doesn't outright say that the gift is, you know, there's no place for it. But at the same time, he puts guardrails around it. And his foundational emphasis is if you're going to do anything in the church, it has to be for the purpose of edifying and building up others. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's plenty of reasons why I, I think that the church today having the completed canon of Scripture, has far less of a need for some of the manifestations and the revelations and things that we see that were occurring in the early church. That makes sense to me. So I want to I want to lean on Scripture, not to the exclusion that God can't do anything else or can't maybe, you know, speak in some other way, but I want to I wanna, I wanna have it grounded in Scripture, tested by Scripture, mm-hmm. and, I, and I want us to, to really take to heart Paul's counsel in those passages that really shape and guard against some of these abuses and some of the, the, the things that took place in, in Corinth that were really just out of control and confusing to many. Yeah. So maybe it might be fair to say, um, maybe if we're on a, going on a mission trip to, to, to an unreached people group, or maybe we're going even just to a section of the United States that is uniquely unreached, we may expect to see some superna- more supernatural manifestations as God is doing a work in, in a people. Or, or may, you know, I was talking with a buddy this week, you were there, um, talking about how, you know, when we do, we have the canon here, we have it in English, we have it translated, and maybe among people groups who don't yet have the scriptures translated, maybe the Lord will give more prophecy or tongues, because they don't have God's will other than that, right? Is that, right. was that fair to say? Yeah, to, to yeah, I think expect? that's, that's, that's a reasonable understanding of the nature of God's revelation, and the progress of revelation throughout history that shapes our expectation of these things. Yeah. And I think there's times and places in which God needs to show up in ways that are that are more pronounced or miraculous, however you want to describe it. Um, 
a miracle can be a, a variety of ways. I think it's no less miraculous when an unbeliever comes to faith Amen. through That's, reading his Bible in English yeah. than a vision and a dream that happens, you know, in the Middle East or something like that. Yeah, totally. So I just, I just don't want to be quick to, to write all those things off and, and affirm that, that God works in a variety of ways, while at the same time he's given us his word to guide us and direct us. Um, you know, Hebrews 1, I think is we need to recognize passages like this that, that say, you know, in, in previous times God spoke to us by the prophets, but in these days he's spoken to us through his Son. Mm-hmm. Um, through Jesus, and so by looking at the words of Jesus and the teaching that he entrusted to his apostles that have been written down for us to guide us, and passage like First, Second Peter chapter 1 that says we've been given everything that we need through life and godliness, mm-hmm. through him. Um, I, I, I think we need to be slow to be just longing and pursuing some other kind of experience outside of Scripture, mm-hmm. especially when certain practices or things get, get very... Um, disconnected from from the scripture then i think we start getting into into places where we're trying to create something rather than letting god do a work um in just the ways that he's going to yeah so well rich we're at about time um do you have any final do you have a final comment or encouragement no pressure um but especially just as one of the pastors of the church and and the most people who listen to this attend the crossing church do you have any yeah, I, uh, I actually found a, an old kind of paper that I'd written back in school around some of these things, and there's a lot of things I think I'd probably change or, or <laughs> reshape, but uh, I just wanted to read kind of the conclusion that I wrote back then that I think is still pertinent here. Um, I said that at the end of the day, we need to recognize that Paul's lists of gifts in his, in his letters throughout the New Testament serve not only to remind us of the variety of ways in which God manifests his grace to his people— but also are given to encourage believers to work together in unity as each individual fulfills his God-given role within the church. Christ, as he promised, has sent the Comforter to his followers, and that spirit is at work within each believer to bring about the spiritual maturity of the individual and also the healthy development of the church as a corporate entity. And this can only come about if each one exercises his spirit-empowered gifts in unity in self-sacrifice, and most of all, authentic love, as Paul outlined mm. in 1 Corinthians 13. And so um, I want to affirm the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's not Father, Son, and Holy Bible. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is a person, yeah. the third person of the Trinity who indwells our lives mm-hmm. and empowers us to live as his people. We need to affirm that. We need to embrace that. We need to seek God to work through us, to fill us with the Spirit, um, not merely looking for some experience, but to look for the evidence that He is changing us, He is shaping us, and transforming us into the image of Christ. Amen. Thanks. That was a good homily. Good way to end. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of CrossCast. You'll hear from us again soon, God willing. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye.